As is tradition, we closed out the showcase event with our annual grade debate. Though this year, we added a twist by splitting the teams down city and country lines. Three clinicians from the bush faced off against their metropolitan contemporaries to find out whether more money and resources for the cities means better healthcare for everybody. Moderated by our reigning champ, Professor Keith McNeil, the debate once again proved to be a battle for the ages. Who came out on top though? Keep listening to find out. Thank you. Look, it's great to be up here as the, as the chair. As, as, uh, as Helen has referenced, I'm retiring undefeated uh, as, a debate, as a participant in these debates over the past few years. Uh, and, uh, and so that's now going to go down in the annals of history. Uh, now that I've taken on the role as chair. Taken on the role, I might add, from Michael Zanker, who's done this job so well. Uh, Michael managed to make the debate all about himself while he was chair, uh, but I won't let that happen on, on this occasion. Um, now, as Helen noted, we're here today to find out whether more money and resources for the big cities will mean better health health outcomes for everybody. And I want you to remember what the exam question is. Some of you might have said... My goodness, when I look out there, actually, if you people there, the thrill seekers down the front, there are some chairs up the back there. You could get further away from the stage if you really wanted to. You look. Um, so remember what the exam question is, because I have to decide on the basis of whatever flimsy arguments that are put up today what, what the answer to this debate is going to be. I'm going to rely on your help. And there is the app, I think. Is it, is it, is it an app or something that you can vote on? Now... Let's get on with the show because I'm going to introduce the, the, the two teams. I'll let you know who they are and then they'll, we'll introduce them one at a time. So on the affirmative team, we have Dr Tanya Kelly, who's the current chair of the Clinical Senate. <laughs> Welcome, Tanya. I'm told Tanya is something called an anesthesiologist, which used to be an anaesthetist when I was a young lad, but anaesthetist, anesthesiologist, whatever. Okay. Uh, Dr. Kath McDougall, an orthopaedic specialist uh, and clinical co-lead of the statewide Getting It Right First Time project. Yeah, thanks, Kath. And crikey, Dr. Chris May. Chris, where did, you, where did they drag you out from? I'll tell you later. My goodness. Well, this is what happens when, you, when, you, when your first team pick actually comes down with COVID. But... Chris, thanks. thanks for showing up, Chris. It's really good of you. Now, on the team that's going to argue against that is uh, Dr. Alice, Dr. Alex Kochi, who I assume is, uh, loves the limelight because he's coming back on the stage again. <laughs> now, Alex is a staff specialist from Cairns and, and Hinterland Health Service. Uh, next, the next victim, the next debater is Dr. Carl DeWitt, uh, GP, GP liaison officer from the Gold Coast, and I might say, I might just add that Carl is a veteran of being on the losing side of these debates, and and a newbie to the to, to the scene. Dr. Marlow Coates, all the way from Thursday Island last night. So welcome, Marlow. Okay, now teams. 
The rules are you have five minutes each, right? I do not want to have to come and stand very close behind you, look over your shoulder to get you to move you from the stage, all right? So five minutes. Be respectful of everyone else. Um, you, otherwise, gloves off. Uh, now, to get us started, don't forget about the app to vote. And to get us started, I'm going to ask the first speaker up, uh, Dr Tanya Kelly. Does more money for big cities mean better health outcomes for everyone? Tanya. One down there. Uh, well, firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the lands on which we meet today and pay my respects and our respects uh, to Elders past, present and emerging. And I also wanted to uh, just a shout out to the panellists and presenters this morning who gave such powerful uh, presentations and, and a big thank you uh, from, from me. Uh, now, um, I also wanted to acknowledge the negative team and uh, pay um, my respect to them uh, for having the, um, the topic that we've got today. Uh, if we could get the slide deck up there, is there a... Oh, here we go. Is this it? Green button. Yeah. Uh, more money for the, for the bush. I think that's what it is. Is that, is that the exam question, Keith? It might be a little bit different from that, but that's the general gist of it. Um, so I think I'm on the city side, arguing for more money for the city. And we've got some real uh, ridgy-digy uh, rural practitioners here um, arguing, and primary care practitioners arguing for um, uh, money for the, for the bush or something like that. So we realise that we're toast, absolute toast. And, uh, and we've had the Honourable Minister, Yvette Darth, um, give her assessment on where this should go as well. So double toast for us. Uh, now, I also wanted to um, mention that uh, the information that I'm providing today uh, does not reflect in any way the views of the Queensland Clinical Senate. <laughs> and the analysis that I'm about to present uh, has no basis in fact. <laughs> Rightio, so we've done a little bit of work here in the affirmative team. Uh, the first thing we've done is we've... Um, wanted to test out what was going on there in the bush. And so we thought we would uh, use a non-healthcare example first and we put a big, big woolies in St George. Now, it did raise a few eyebrows at the beginning. Uh, they didn't quite fit in the scene, uh, but big plus, no issues with parking. <laughs> None at all. If there's a population surge there in St George, there'll be plenty of room for stocking the shelves. And by the way, Googling empty shopping uh, supermarkets, no problem to find photos of that either. <laughs> uh, conversely, what we did do is we put the Kenilworth IGA in the middle of Queen Street. It was a busy day that day. Didn't know quite what to make of it, but you should have seen what it was like inside. Unbelievable. The uh, consumer feedback that day, very poor, very poor. And social distancing, all-time low. Uh, nonetheless, we aren't talking about supermarkets here today. We are talking about healthcare. So let's get on to the serious matter. So here we've put the PA hospital in the bush. All of it, the whole thing right there. I did a little bit of analysis. And I decided to have a look at transplant services because 
if we need them in the bush, we need them in the bush. So we've got um, 56 rural and remote uh, facilities uh, and around about, yes, 130 specialised healthcare workers at each site, eight support services, 3.3 transplants a year and uh, another 7,280 specialised staff across the state. What's going on in there? Um, it's not busy. but it's very clean <laughs> and they're ready. <laughs> Sit for that one for a little bit longer. Um, you should see the hospital bookshelf. <laughs> anyway. Really, you know, when it comes to services in the, in the rural and remote regions, uh, there is no doubt that rural and remote re regions need what they need. But sometimes uh, putting these expensive services just doesn't make sense. Thanks. Thanks, Tanya. Well, uh, yes, the, the famous Yes Minister episode, the Compassionate Society, the hospital with no patients. Um, well, we're off to an interesting start, I think you'll agree. Maybe, maybe not quite answering the question, but, you know, good effort. Um, now, let me hand on to the, to the first speaker for the so-called negative team, or the team taking the opposing view, Dr Alex Kochi. Thank you. Good afternoon. And thank you very much for allowing someone from the state of North Queensland to provide input on this important issue. <laughs> the affirmative team is right about one thing. They are toast. <laughs> and so let's go back to the question, as, as they've alluded to already. Uh, does more money and resources for cities be meta mean better health care for everybody? If only that were so. It would be marvellously marvelously convenient and politically advantageous if this were the case. No one would lose out on the march toward health equity utopia. However, I, I feel that George Orwell was right in Animal Farm when he said that all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. The question is, if we pour money and resources into our major quaternary centres in Brisbane, Gold and Sunshine Coasts, how much better does it actually get beyond the confines of the Great South East? So let's explore this question a bit, and you, the wonderful, intelligent and good-looking audience, <laughs> get to decide who is more convincing by the end. So I did most of my training in Cairns Hospital, where we have most things. That's where I'm from. I'm from Cairns. But I remember distinctly one of my first shifts at the Royal Brisbane ED when I phoned Switch and asked to speak to the gastro-reg. Switch patiently asked me, well, which one? We have five. <laughs> what? Did you say five? I blurted out. After a few more awkward exchanges, I realised I was actually wasting their time and thanked them and hung up the phone. So my boss, Dr Bill Lucan, uh, seeing me looking stressed and confused, laughed when I told him and said, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Which was a nice pun, but he was right. The level of health care you can receive at the Royal Brisbane is amazing. And access to this care is possible and logistically relatively simple. Compare this to where I work in Cairns, which is by no means the smallest nor most remote. 
I invite you to come up north and get a bit hot and sweaty. Unfortunately, it's not the good kind because you also have some chest pain. <laughs> the good news is we can do your angiogram now and it doesn't have to be a Tuesday or a Thursday like it was when I was a registrar. <laughs> the bad news is you have a blockage and that blockage is best managed by a coronary artery bypass graft and for that we're going to have to get you to Townsville provided they have space on their list. Have a bad headache in Cairns? You better hope it's not an aneurysm because it's a flight back to Townsville or maybe even Brisbane for you, depending on what you need. Maybe you had a few too many and accidentally fell off your balcony and fractured your pelvis. You better hope that the two pelvic surgeons are in town, otherwise you're out of luck. Not even Townsville can help you now. <laughs> Strap your legs together and yourself in for a ride back to Brisbane. At the risk of labouring this point, let me, as an emergency physician, go on to something less controversial. How about acute stroke management? <laughs> if you didn't know before, let me tell you now, if you're going to have your stroke, have it in the Gold Coast, please. <laughs> Why? Why? Because that, was, that would be where we would have to send you to have your clot retrieved. But what is 1,700 kilometres between friends? And the logistics for these transfers get really hairy too. The stars need to align such that the aircraft is available, the flight team has the requisite hours left to fly, the weather is good, the receiving hospital can fit our patient in, and there is a bed to recover them in afterwards. See what I did there? That's a good joke. <laughs> but please don't feel too sorry for us in Kansas. I've alluded to, we're not the smallest by any stretch. And we pass this love down the totem pole too, and this is replicated across the system. Uh, we pass this love down to people like Marlowe, who are uh, from Thursday Island, our third speaker. So for example, hit your head in Cooktown and you need to be sent to Cairns for a CT. Don't complain about being in spinal precautions overnight though. Want to have a baby on TI but have some risk factors and want to be near family? Sorry, you're going to Cairns too. Get sick in Tully with a touch of lepto, and this is a homage to Tully, golden gumboot. But all you have for testing there is an ISTAT blood gas, and you better hope that Cairns is not in a code yellow. Actually, sorry, we don't have those anymore. I'm in tier three. <laughs> Please don't misunderstand me. I'm all for medical advancement and investment in services, and I don't begrudge the, the healthcare, the great southeast. Uh, gets to enjoy, my fellow Queenslanders get to enjoy. But go back to the question we're debating and ask yourself, where would you rather be when you have your stroke or your heart attack or your fractured pelvis until teleportation becomes a reality? Patients need these vital services close to where they are. I hope you agree with me that investing more and more money into the city does not necessarily translate into better healthcare for everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. I like the vague reference to Heisenberg's uncertainty principle there. Um, uh, I, I didn't know, but we share, we share something in common. I'm an alumnus of Cairns State High, class of 74. There you go. All right, well, let's move right on with the debate and get it back on track. And let me introduce Kath McDougall to the stage to uh, take the second chair for the affirmative team. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it's a real pleasure 
for me to be asked to be part of this debate, uh, albeit off the bench after COVID wiped out the rest of the team. But I feel very lucky to be talking about this because there's nothing I like more than talking about than giving more money to the cities. But before I'd start, I'd like to acknowledge our wonderful country visitors, our opposition. I really love country people. There's a real simplicity about them that I find endearing. <laughs> Thank you for making the time to join us, and I hope you're getting some rain. More money and resources for the cities means better out health outcomes for everybody. A true statement I've rarely heard, Mr Chairman, and certainly one I support given I live in the city. Now, Tanya has introduced some data into this equation and I'm just going to let you know you're not going to find too much more of that in the next five minutes. Uh, our opposition started very strongly, but I am going to choose not to respond to those points and instead respectfully just give you some points of my own. And that is, I think people underestimate how hard it is to live and work in the cities. Decision-making fatigue with endless options for weekend activity. There's kale on every menu. Having to wear active wear to school drop-off, and that's just at home. I mean, some patients are driving more than 30 minutes to receive their health care. The roads are full. The hours are long, coffee is sometimes Starbucks, and one of the hospitals won't install a battery for electric vehicles. That's if you get a car park at all. I know people who have waited for at least three years to get a car park. Three years, Mr Chairman. I mean, that's almost as long as it's taken for us to get any data out of the IMR. <laughs> um, I love talking about high-value care, sustainability, improving quality. The Healthcare House of Lean is a relentless pursuit of perfect process through waste elimination, ensuring that we increase what's value-added to the equation and eliminating everything else. I mean, waste accounts for up to 15 to 20 per cent of, of um, costs within our system. But I just can't find a way to wind this into that argument. So instead, I'm going to introduce a new model, and it's called the Jacaranda Tree. The healthcare system in Queensland is like a jacaranda tree. In the trunk is the cities, large volumes of staff, high tertiary level services serving the largest populations, it needs the most time and the most resources. The roots, Charlotte Street, sandy, well-drained soil and occasionally a slightly acidic base. <laughs> but as the trunks disperse out to the branches, that's when we get out into the regions. The key, though, is the branches can't survive without the strong trunk and the roots. You need the roots to be strong to support the smaller branches and flowers. You don't water the branches. You water the roots. <laughs> and if you're lucky, in 20 years, flowers will bloom. And one might drop on your head if you're lucky enough and bring you good fortune. More money and resources in the city means better outcomes for everyone. I was walking home from aerial yoga lattes this week with Bessie, <laughs> Bessie, my labradoodle, worrying about climate change and wondering whether what I'm feeling in my belly might be an intolerance to gluten. <laughs> and then it came to me, well-being, joy, mindfulness, the vibe, medita, the pleasure that comes in delighting in other people's well-being. My second concept. 
more money and resources for the cities improves outcomes for everyone in the cities. That makes the people in the cities happy and joyous. The country people seeing the joy and happiness of the people in the cities also feels happy, improving their outcomes. Improved health outcomes for everyone. Mudita. In conclusion, Mr Chairman, through the concepts of the Jacaranda Tree and Mudita, I believe that shining a light on the cities by providing more money and resources will improve outcomes for everyone. We must be cautious about shining the light on the country. The curtains might fade. Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, thanks, Kath. I, I, I'm almost certain I heard you advocate for watering the roots, which would mean more money for Charlotte Street. <laughs> anyway, let's move on now to, or now that I've retired, the veteran of the great debate, Dr Carl DeWitt. Carl. Thank you, honourable chair, esteemed colleagues, ladies and gentlemen. It's a privilege to spend some time with you. And on that topic of happiness, we'll continue by looking at some photos of cute and popular creatures. <laughs> so we're going to use a little bit of koala philosophy to just undermine whatever credibility the opposing team had left. So I want to introduce you to this little fellow here. His name is uh, Metro, and he lives in the inner city of Brisbane in the leafy later forest lands, and he's got a family. Now let's see if this works. Well, it looks like that will be the one cute photo that you will see. <laughs> Obviously, I am from the country and this is not working well. So, oh, there we go. So which, which one is it? Oh, gotcha. So this is the cousin. We'll call her Rural, and she lives out close to Cooktown. And then there is a, another cousin, and her name is Remote. And the three of them are very close. They get together for barbecues, as you do of eucalyptus leaves. And they recently had a family reunion, and, and they started talking, like you do at these family reunions, just how difficult things have recently been. You know, the, the deforestation, destroying the habitat and the homes, uh, the, the scarcity of food because of the flood and the drought and the bushfires, and that infectious disease that starts with the capital C. <laughs> but they're koalas, so they're resilient, and soon that enthusiasm came back. And then they said, you know what, the government is giving us some money, and then... Rural and Metro remembered that people are donating. And I imagine the conversation went a little bit like this at that point. Rural asked, guys, what do you think they're going to do with all this money? And then Metro says, pick me, pick me. I know what they're going to do. I think, oops, I think they should build a giant silo close to where I live in Brisbane. And then we should collect all 700 eucalyptus leaves including the 50 types we like, and we should put this in the silo and there will be enough food for all koalas in Queensland. But wait, guys, it's not only eucalyptus leaves because we're going to have a 24-7 health center in the silo and it's going to offer holistic, comprehensive, koala-centered care. Well, rural and remote didn't look very impressed. They said, Metro, how do you think all the koalas are going to 
come to your silo because we sleep 18 hours a day and we're not really very athletic. <laughs> no problem, business class tickets for everyone and you're all welcome and we'll always be right here and waiting for you. But at that point, Rural frowns and she says, well, my baby just left my pouch and I'm not sure I feel comfortable leaving her. And then cousin remote says, I think that's just a little bit unfair. Remember that colony of bohemian koalas our parents didn't want us hanging out with? The ones that got a bit to a bit of trouble. Do you know that recently there was a vet and some volunteers and they went into the forest and they did on-site assessments and they fixed them. And then you could just see the light dawning in Metro's eyes. And he said, so you're telling me that if humans want to help us, they shouldn't build a silo. They should provide us with services close to our home. Now, ladies and gentlemen, are koalas and consumers really that different? Sure, we don't have evolved cecums that can digest eucalyptus. But we understand housing issues. We understand or suffer from disasters, and we understand that consumers want their care delivered close to home. And speaking of koalas, this is my favorite, the caramello. Now, we brought enough caramellos <laughs> for everyone. Now, now, my opponents want me to invest the koalas in the guys here in front, the fellows. <laughs> and you guys can bask, what was it, Kath, in the, in the reflected glory and appreciation. <laughs> now, I can see some people fidgeting and thinking they've made some poor decisions today, but stay where you are for the moment, because unlike our opponents, we believe that everyone should share in the available resources that we invest and that everyone should get a chance whether it is as simple as a caramello or as essential and important as life-saving health care to have that access close to home irrespective of your seat selection or your postcode thank you ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Well, we're getting to the pointy end here now, back to down to the last speaker. So let me introduce uh, Dr. Chris May, out of retirement especially, brought out out of retirement especially. Um, you're a retired emergency physician, Chris, but you're also a veteran of the great debate. You've finally been am. on here before. I am. So uh, who knows? You might be a dark horse. I'm not, I'm Over not. to you. Now, which one do you press? Uh, everyone knows what this is? Yeah, it's a barrel. When they were asking or trying to find people to participate in this debate, they went right to the bottom and <laughs> scraped out the bottom and there I was. But here I am back better than ever. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm a world expert in emergency medicine models of care, patient flow, solving health problems. And for those that you do know me, that's not quite correct. <laughs> now, I have been to the country I was two years in this place called Mara, halfway between a place called Banana, which has no banana trees, <laughs> and Springshaw. So 
On the far side is the hospital that I attended, and that's the new modern hospital. Now, there's 10 beds in those days. I was the superintendent of the hospital. I was also director of emergency, surgery, anaesthetics, paediatrics, ONG, occasionally a vet scientist and a dentist. But we managed. So let's not say that we can't manage in the bush. Now, let's put to rest this argument that this bush is not supported. Here we have an example of the latest, most modern communication device that we are supporting the bush with. You can't get much better than this. We have aero retrieval services with the most modern planes arrive, uh, around. But we didn't rest on our laurels just with that plane. We went further and got another plane, <laughs> a twin-engine plane. So we are supporting the bush, and that money comes to the larger centres. Not necessarily all southeast, but Townsville, Brockhampton and Cairns. You do have your own helicopter, don't you? <laughs> so we are spending money in the right way. We have the Royal Flying Doctor Service, a wonderful, wonderful service. Operates out of Brisbane, supported by Brisbane, supported by Queensland Health and funded by Queensland Health in Brisbane. We have an extended ambulance service, the most modern, up-to-date one that you can find. It has a rapid response time, somewhere between four to six days, but they will get there. But we didn't rest on our laurels either. We updated it to the latest motorised version, which brought it back to three to four days waiting time despite the fact we have ramping and other things going on. So we do support the bush in lots of ways from metropolitan areas and areas of high population. I take the point about the koalas. Yeah, they had trouble with their chlamydia. And they're probably best treated in trees, not in silos, and not in clinics. Humans, however, are slightly different. We do need to support the rural and remote areas but by spending money unnecessarily in those areas may not give you the outcome that you want. Have we ever asked the people of the bush what they want, not what we think they need? We have expensive care, and that's available in most of the rural places, in major centres such as Rockhampton, Mackay, Townsville, Cairns, even Mount Isa. So we do have modern, intensive and expensive cares, which support the bush. Now we have also telehealth. We can reach out to people right across the state using Zoom, WhatsApp, FaceTime, whichever one you like, and we are able to solve their problems, or at least help their problems. But are we, in fact, helping their problems? I think so. One minute. So in summary, I do think we have a balanced system. Yes, we do have a lot of money spent in metropolitan southeast Queensland, but that's where a large population is. Yes, we do fund rural services. I'm not saying you don't need more money, but I think we have to be careful about where we go from here. So having been in the country and been on the receiving end and being in the city end, I'm sorry, I've got to go with Catherine. I'd much rather be here. Thank you.
Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Interesting proposition, supporting the bush with ambulances from Toronto. Uh, but was it enough as a closing argument? I'm now going to hand over to our final speaker, Dr Marlowe Coates. You're still awake? I know you had a long trip from TI last night, mate. You all right? Yeah, We're in the big city now. Yeah? I know. Okay. It's uh, intimidating with all these lights. Over to you. But um, you said five minutes, but um, I work on island time these days. Um, <laughs> Look, I like the picture of Woolies because I've got to uh, travel to Wee for sometimes to do a bit of backfill and um, me and my wife sometimes because we're at distance, we, we, gotta, we, we text each other pictures and I'll text her pictures of the woolly shells with all the fruit and vegetables and choice and options and those amazing things you get at a Woolworths. But I, I don't think there's many, many in many remote towns. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's particularly exciting and our kids look at it and they froth over all that fruit and veg they can get. And, all the options of meat at the butchers, I duck down to Toshi's and just ask him what's available, and he just gives me a bag or something. That's, <laughs> that's, how, we, that's how we roll there, I suppose. So, and, um, and, uh, so I might go over a minute here, I'm sorry, but um, look, the, the, I also look like the jacaranda analogy, but I think you're wrong. We might look like the flowers at the end, and we're beautiful, and you come remote, there's lots of great things to see, but we're actually the roots, we're nourishing, we're feeding you. We fish for the sashimi on your sushi. We uh, grow that organic kale. We, we're the ones feeding that tree, mate. Like, that's, that's it. Um, and I tried to Google Medita, but my phone said it was pronounced Malaki. Um, I think that's right. I think that's right. Hey, look, I'll, I'll move quickly through my points because there's a few here. Look, we, we recognise healthcare budgets are finite. They can't do everything for everyone. Um, the utilitarian approach to health service funding, uh, the most for the most people, works on economies of scale. For decades, it's undermined and disadvantaged people living rural and remote, no more so than our First Nations uh, Australians. Um, the inequity of access and uh, outcomes experienced by those living remote is it's a perennial feature of the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare reporting. Anyone can look that up. It's free access. It'll tell you what's been going on. Read five years' worth of reports. Read two decades' worth of reports. We're so bad at our rhetoric around funding the bush and finding equity access that we've introduced law and regulation to try and hold ourselves accountable. We're the only state to do it so far. It should speak something to how we've failed in this space to uh, trickle down to the remote sites. Um, some of the communities in the region I work in, life expectancy is early 50s. You know, what's the use of superannuation? Um, how are you going to get a home loan when you're 30s, when that's your life expectancy? Interestingly, if in your 50s you're called a quinquagenarian, which I'd never read before, but has a nice ring to it, um, so look, in one third of the social gaps in health don't come from healthcare. We in this room aren't going to solve them. They, they come from the social determinants of health, housing, education, food access, clean water, incarceration rates, employment, poverty. After my second was born, my town went on a boil water alert for 15 months. 15 months without clean water. We had to boil the stuff. This is the stuff that's driving a third of our health outcomes and none of us can solve that. I really liked the points earlier from our before the debate around you know, linking with education, housing, these other groups. If you pick up the 425 page, uh, 1100 referenced RHD endgame strategy, which is a great comprehensive body of work, it models that $2.9 billion invested in housing in the 210 most remote, vulnerable communities in our country would drop RHD in our nation by 70%. That's not guess, it's not a joke, it's just straight up modelling and what we've seen around the rest of the world. Um, compared to COVID, it seems cheap, it doesn't even fund health services. Um, so never mind the other diseases you're going to fix with those. Um, when we look at an approach to health service funding and we're talking about trickle-down funding that will trickle through to the bush from the city, 
You know, look at trickle-down economics. It doesn't. It just doesn't work. All across the world, this funding big corporations, it's, it's resulted in some of the worst inequity in economic, socio-economic standing around the world back to pre-French Revolution era, and we all know what happened after that. Um, I mean, our priority, if our priority in health services is to, to further extend and improve the lives of those living into their 90s and 80s, 90s and into their 100s, then we're probably missing the boat a little on those who are only living to their 50s. Um, the, you mentioned Animal Farm before, and in the book in Animal Farm, we're given the opportunity to self-govern. The animals quickly split into factions and silos. Um, the pigs learned how to walk on two legs. Um, they learned to enjoy the finer things in life, but they fell for the trap of over-intellectualisation where they convinced themselves and the other animals around that any of the excess milk produced by the cows uh, was only really useful, in, uh, I suppose, in um, being drunk by them and nourishing their insatiable appetite. Um, anyone can over-intellectualise an argument and really push, push a point and make a good case as to why the pigs were right in that situation. And my colleagues um, did that in a really entertaining way today. But um, yeah, any eighth grader picking up that book on the syllabus will see that it's a reasonably futile argument. Um, you know, Queensland Health and all of their health services, they're irreducibly complex. They're horribly complicated. The funding models, the groups involved, it, it is chaotic. Um, and ultimately, we've got the feds, the states, the HHSs, departments, units, units within units. You've got primary care, hospital care. It's chaotic. And, and ultimately, the decision on where the funding goes sits with a small group of people and decision-making in Canberra federally and here in Brisbane, down here during this, this period, um, so with some of the people in this room. But I'd probably issue a rally cry that um, it's an artificial construct. The silos are there because we created them. It drives divide. It forces us to focus on our own little areas of health care. But Queensland Health isn't a silo. It's not an abstract idea. It's not a benign or a malignant corporation. It is quite literally the people who work within it. It is all of us in this room. We collectively inform the decisions that are made by the few decision makers, um, our ministers, DGs, coups, other leaders of the health service, and we can all pick up those books and read them and help inform the decision towards funding remote services better than what they are at the moment. Um, so by the time my kids finish school, they'll live through probably five more health ministers, um, four more director generals, three more chief health operating officers, probably two more major restructures of Queensland Health because we do those about every 10 years. And if the Honourable Jeanette Young's tenure is anything to go by, we'll probably only have one chief health operating officer by that time. So um, Parliament sits next week. Estimates have been through. Many decisions are being made this week and next week. Pen is going on paper. Um, I'd urge all of those, our ministers, DGs, leaders, and those who we've been trying to inform through workshops like this and all of the other work that we do to um, make some decisions that will give us some marvellous outcomes in the bush for once so we can nourish the jacaranda tree and, um, and all enjoy the flowers at the end of it. Thank you. Well, that'd have to be the most serious end debate that we've ever had, Milo, and, and we can tell you come from Thursday Island because Parliament's actually sitting this week, not next week. <laughs> now, I want you all to, to get on, your, on the app, uh, vote for who you think uh, has won the great debate, which arguments or argument persuaded you one way or the other, uh, and we're going to have a look at the results live as they come in. I think. What are we having trouble with, Katie? The app. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I don't think we need to go any further than that, do we? I think that that's a fairly, uh, fairly, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so, Chris. Well, I think we'll have to congratulate the team uh, here on a resounding victory. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.